Isaiah 44, verses 1 through 6. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord's. The name himself and name himself by the name of Israel. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. The Lord bless the reading of his word. Who, who is the most frustrating person in your life? <laughs> I wasn't really expecting a giggle in response to that, but okay. Who's the most frustrating person in your life? It's a tough contest, I imagine might depend on what day it is or what time it is. I had the pleasant experience of dealing with uh, technical support people for many hours this week. Man, those are some frustrating people. My apologies if you're a technical support person. <laughs> you're not supporting me, so I don't find you that frustrating. Well, I'll tell you, the person who is most consistently, most consistently near the top of the list of the most frustrating people in my life is me. Did you ever have this experience being frustrated by yourself? Like you want to do something or stop doing something and for some reason you just can't make yourself obey yourself what on earth? You know, the scripture has a long passage related to this in Romans chapter 7 where Paul says, I was going to look it up, but he just says something like that. Whatever I, the things I want to do, I can't make myself do them. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself, I keep on doing them. 
And it's extremely frustrating. At the end of that text, he says, who can save me from this? There's an answer to that question. There's an answer to that question. In fact, the text we're going to look at this morning contains the answer to that question. Now, the answer is still being delivered, just so we're all clear. So you are probably not going to walk out of here this morning and never again be frustrated by yourself. That is extremely unlike, well, it's not going to happen. You're still going to be frustrated by yourself because what we have in this instance is what we often have in the delivery of our salvation to us. And that's what we're talking about, our salvation. That's what Paul, who's already saved, by the way, means when he says, who will save me? He's already saved, and yet he's asking, who will save me? And we are in that same position. And we have an expression for this in theology schools. We call it already and not yet. And it's this idea that we, ha- we possess what we have in Christ for sure and for real, and yet we have not yet seen it fully realized, which we will in the future. But in the meantime, we can progress in it. So, what is the answer? Well, in John chapter 14, here's what we read. I'm going to back up and catch catch up with some context before we get to today's passage. It says, Jesus is speaking, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And now today's text. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you 
in me and I in you. Now, that's where we're going to stop. It is really hard to stop in the middle of this. And believe me, we're in the middle of this. And next time we're going to come, we're going to start with a sentence that's very similar to the first sentence we're talking about today, which is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the first sentence of next week's text is, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. There's a theme here. And Jesus is unpacking some really fantastic news. And remember, he's preaching this to the disciples. He's telling the disciples for future reference. He's already said to them, look, uh, you know, you're not really going to get this yet. And when he says, when he talks about the greater works that they'll do, what is it that makes them greater? Well, what is it that makes them greater is that they will occur after the atonement and the resurrection and the ascension and the intercession of Christ. That's what makes them greater. They will be done in the great light of our redemption in Christ that has yet to be accomplished when he's speaking. They will be works done in the resurrection life purchased for us by the death and resurrection of Christ. And they will be done because he is going to the Father and in his presence with the Father, in his intercession for us, he will do whatever we ask in his name. Who will empower these greater works? He will. He will. Well, the Father will by the agency of the Son. Oh, but there's more to it. I mean, that's pretty fantastic. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Now, we, we talked about that last week. That doesn't turn in Jesus' name into some magic words that, you know, give me a million dollars in Jesus' name, and he's, you know, obligated to give me a million dollars, whether that's wise or unwise. It, believe me, it would be horribly unwise in my case. So, it's not that. What it is, it, what I ask in Jesus' name is for this very indwelling, empowering presence of Jesus in the works that I do as I follow him. And when I ask in Jesus' name, my will submits to his because I'm invoking the authority of Jesus. And, you know, when you go before the living God and you say, this is what I want, and Jesus says so, I, you want to be truthful about that. I, you, we should probably be a little more bashful about invoking Jesus' name before God. Because when I pray in Jesus' name, it means Jesus, I'm saying Jesus endorses my prayer. 
Well, there's a very real sense in which he always endorses every prayer, which is it is by his blood, his resurrection, his presence before God even now that I can come in there at all and pray for anything. So I can also just come in Jesus' name to say, here's why I have a right to stand here and ask for this. It's in Jesus and only in Jesus. And all of this is for the glory of the Father in the Son, we read. Then, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So I think the keeping of his commandments is related to the doing of the greater works, wouldn't you say? What is it that we're doing? Keeping his commandments. And that's the key part of the answer here. If you love me. If you love me. If you're frustrated with yourself, here's the solution. If you love him. Now, I just said that and I'm thinking, wow, that wasn't much of a solution because really the thing I'm most frustrated about about myself is my inadequate love for him. But this says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll want to do what I want you to do. Well, you'll not, you won't just want to, you actually will. And it says, true obedience is grounded in love. Well, you know, I think that's something we all know already. What makes a child obedient to his parents ultimately? Well, so in some cases, it's oppression and threat, fear of punishment. In some cases, that we wouldn't call that good parenting, I don't think. When a child is a teenager, and you want the child to behave obediently when the parent is not even present. What might generate that? Love. Love. Of all the possible things that will best generate that, it's love. And at the bottom of even the fears is love in that relationship. True obedience is grounded in love. You might even say that obedience that's not grounded in love is not entirely true. But, you know... I, I told you this is the solution to your frustrations. And then I told you, but this is frustrating. We're going to have to deal with that at some point. We're going to have to figure out 
that at some point, but not just right away. <laughs> what happens when people love Christ? He says, if you love me, something will occur. And this is, a, this is what we call an indicative statement. That means it's a, just a statement of fact. It's not a commandment. It's a statement of fact. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What happens when people love Jesus? They keep his commandments. That's what happens. So now, I can sort of see how well I'm loving him by how well I'm keeping his commandments. Mm -hmm. Sort of. This is just getting worse. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So now I'm sure that my love for him is sort of pitiful. So I'm not that great as keeping his commandments. I want to focus for a second on the word keep, because when we read this sentence, at least in English, what we typically think is keep is simple, and it means just obey. So he gives a command, I do the command, and I'm keeping the command. But the word keep is a lot deeper than that. The word keep is what shepherds do with sheep. Shepherds, you remember in the Christmas story, shepherds were keeping their flock by night. Shepherds keep sheep. That means they watch after them, they look after them, they take care of them, they, uh, the sheep matter to them. And that's the same word we have here. And it, it, it means like you could use this for like standing guard. Watching over. So it does include the idea of obedience, but it's actually quite a bit deeper than that. It, it means something a little more than that. It means obedience out of real concern, care, watch. Like, it's eyes on. So I'm watching after his commandments. I'm concerned about whether his commandments are being fulfilled in general, not just by me. I keep his commandments. And if I love him, this will occur. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Like, if I love him, what he wants matters to me. And the deeper, more genuine, more real my love for him is, the more it matters to me what he wants. And the more I understand who he is, of course, the more I understand that what he wants is what is actually perfectly good and right. And so it is what I should want. The, the extent to which I don't want his commandments 
is the extent to which something is wrong with me. If I love him, his commandments matter. I keep an eye on them. I really keep an eye on them. Now this, of course, begs a question. What are his commandments? What are his commandments? Here's what John wrote in 1 John chapter 3. <laughs> Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. That's verse 21 of 1 John chapter 3. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Oh, well, we heard that before. Because we keep his commandments. Oh, so those two things, he didn't just like change the subject, did he? Those two things are very intimately related. In fact, as you read this chapter in John chapter 14, you might think, wow, that's a sudden gear shift. And in a second, when he's going he's gonna to switch from this to, I'm, I'm going to give you another helper, we're going to think, wow, that's a sudden gear shift, but it's not. Anyway, 1 John again, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment. That's convenient. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Oh, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. Wow, it's like John was reading John when he wrote 1 John. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. All these things are tied together in this text, just like they're tied together in John chapter 14 in the words of Christ himself. So what are his commandments? Well, I, I saw two. Trust Jesus Christ and love one another. Uh, in, in Galatians, Paul puts it like this in chapter 5 of the book of Galatians, verse 6. He says, you know, doesn't matter circumcised or uncircumcised that's a that's a way of saying doesn't matter law keeping doesn't matter law keeping doesn't matter Jew or Gentile and also in the book of Galatians he would say doesn't matter man or woman doesn't matter slave or master doesn't matter blah 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 doesn't matter and then he says doesn't matter circumcised or uncircumcised, only this, faith. Faith. Working through love. Oh. So this is like what Jesus said. When Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Love obeys. Faith trusts Trust, loves, love, obeys. Oh. So those are, the, those are his commandments. Trust Christ, love one another. 
love God? That means a heart that is transformed to be radically committed to the welfare of others and the glory of God. To the point of sacrifice and service. Real sacrifice. Now, right here in this context in the Gospel of John from which we're reading, you might recall back in chapter 13 towards the end in this very same conversation that we've been looking at for a long time now. In this very conversation, Jesus said this, a new commandment I give to you. Oh, commandment. Yeah, that's what we're looking for. A new commandment I give to you. What was the new commandment? That you love one another. That you love one another. Do you realize that Jesus is saying in this text, if you love him, you will love the other people. Did you hear that? If you love him, you will love each other. You know, the book of 1 John just says this over and over and over and over with words like this. If you say you love God and you don't love your brother, you're just lying to yourself. You're just kidding yourself. You can't love God and not love your brother. Same thing Jesus says right here. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And the very the single commandment he has given in the context of that sentence is, if you love one another. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. This is how everyone will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The quality of love in the church is a direct direct consequence of the quality of our love for Christ. Is this getting any less frustrating yet? The key, which we already discovered when we looked at that text before, is in that expression, love one another as I have loved you. If he hasn't loved you, this is impossible. And, you know, John says this also in 1 John. You know, you, most of us here in this room have memorized this one verse in 1 John we love because what? He first loved us. So underneath, if you love me, is if he loves you. If he loves you. Hmm. So, love one another is the commandment. Love him is the power. His love for you is the power below that.
So the commandment is, and, and our keeping of the commandment is actually made possible by the death, resurrection, intercession of Christ. That's how he has loved us. He died for my sins, reconciling me to the living God, making me alive again in fellowship with the living God. And so I have the resurrection life that he has. And so my love is switched on in that. But there's more. There's more. We haven't even gotten to the really, really good part yet. Okay, that, all of that is really, really good. But all of that happens in a person's life because of what he says next. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, in the Greek language, the word helper here is really the word paraklete. Paraklete. And it's uh, sort of a noun form of a, a verb, parakaleo. And parakaleo means to call alongside. I'm going to act out that verb. Imagine a person standing here. That's what it means. Called alongside. And this word is so rich. Helper is not good enough. In fact, uh, in my reading this week on this text, it was like, you know, we have like six different words we use in English to translate this word. And really, if you really wanted to translate it, you should use all six of them every time. Helper means, sounds like, oh, God's going to send me a helper. Who's the superior if I have a helper? <laughs> well, me. So that's not real good. If, if you just mean someone who helps, that's true, but helpers, nah. We could use a comforter. In fact, the old English translations, that's the word they use. I'll send you another comforter. Well, some of you have experience with the Holy Spirit. Is it always comforting? Not always. Because sometimes what the Holy Spirit needs to do is make you uncomfortable. Like when you sin, the Holy Spirit does this thing we call conviction before he does comfort. And by the way, between conviction and comfort is Christ. Because the Holy Spirit is always about Christ. Counselor, that's another word. Counselor, someone who gives you good advice or direction or the right way to think about something. Or encourager. In fact, this word parakaleo is sometimes translated with the word encourage. 
Let us encourage one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching from Hebrews, that that word encourage is this word. Uh, Or exhort. Now, encourage and exhort. Encourage sounds nice. Exhort sounds tough. Or in one case, the Bible uses the word advocate. 1 John chapter 2. Brothers, I'm writing this to you so that you won't sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate before the Father. Someone who speaks up for us on my behalf. And in that case, that paraclete is Jesus himself, the one who gave his life as a satisfaction. So when he stands up for me, he says, the penalty for my sin has been covered. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate and an effective one. And interestingly, Jesus says, he will, I will ask the Father and he will give you another paraclete. You already have one, and it's him. And he's going to give you another one. So, a helper, comforter, counselor, encourager, advocate, swift kicker. All of those ideas are wrapped up into this word. It's a very, very rich word. If you need a push, he'll provide a push. If you need a pull, he'll provide a pull. If you need a hug, he'll provide a hug. He will move you forward. Now, we, this is in the context of, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he'll send you another helper. Helper in what? Loving him and keeping his commandments. Loving him. Trusting him. Sharing his love. And he'll be with you forever. And then he gives his name, the Spirit of truth. Now, I just want to remind you about truth. Right here in John chapter 14, verse 6, so just a few sentences earlier in this little talk, in this conversation, this last night conversation between Jesus and his disciples, Jesus said something interesting using the word, I am, I am the way. I am, what's the second thing? The truth. The truth. So when he calls the spirit the spirit of truth, it's another way of saying my spirit, the spirit of me, the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the one he will give, the Father will give. Jesus will ask, the Father will give, the Spirit will come. That's a trinity. Now, he goes on and he says, this is the spirit of truth that the world doesn't know 
can't, can't know. Can't know. Why not? Well, he says, well, you know him. You'll know him. It's a future tense. You will know him. You will know him. Why? Because he dwells with you now and will be in you. He's with you and will be in you. How is the Spirit with them? In the person of Jesus himself. In the person of Jesus himself. Where we know the Spirit, God, the, the, John chapter 3 says, God gave Jesus the Spirit without measure. This is the communion between the Father and the Son, the incarnate Son. Lives in perfect Fellowship in unity with God the Father by the ministry of the Spirit. All three persons of the Trinity are always involved in anything that any of them do. And here we learn that he dwells with you now and will be in you. Who's he in when this sentence is uttered? He's in Jesus and he will be in us. The Spirit of truth. Now, this word, dwells, is going to be a very important word in the whole New Testament, especially in the rest of the book of John, and very much in the book of First John, dwells. It's a little Greek word, meno, M-E-N-O. Meno. It's the word that is used in chapter 15 when Jesus says, abide, abide. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask for whatever you want and it'll be done for you. It's another one of those whatever you ask things. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in the vine, you'll bear much fruit. Oh, that sounds like this. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If I'm in you and you're in me and we, our lives are lived in intimate fellowship, you will become like him loving. And that is delivered by the Spirit of God. Ellen's favorite verse in the whole Bible, I think, is Romans 8. I don't remember the verse number. 5? 8, 5? 5, 5, 5, sorry. Romans 5, I'm thinking Romans 5, 8, which is in the same context, which says that God has poured out his love in our hearts by giving us the Spirit. Oh. He's poured out his love in our heart. How do I experience the love of God, which is demonstrated, Romans 5 8, which is demonstrated by the sacrifice of Christ? God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, his enemies, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love on the cross. God communicates his love by pouring out the Spirit in our hearts. 
Oh, he is with you. He will be in you. And that communication of the love of God by attention to Christ, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's just another way of saying the exact same thing. And unfortunately, we're out of time, but we're going <clears> to <throat> continue on this very next thing. We're only like halfway through my outline, if you see it there in your bulletin. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Okay, whose spirit indwells us? His. His. This, is, this text is not so much about the second coming of Christ, though it does kind of include that. It's more about the sending of the Spirit. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And we will see, <laughs> as a consequence of this, the Spirit in the life of the church, in the life of believers in Him, uh, comes back to, in the end, the thing which he says in this text, you will know that I am in the Father, you in me, and I in you. You see, the, what Christ is delivered, is delivering, will deliver is actually catching us up into the eternal, glorious, divine fellowship. And he will pray this in John 17, Father, that they would be one with us <clears throat> just as we are one. You can't even think about what that means. that we will have this, the same type and quality of union that exists in the eternal triune God. That's what's going on here. And this is the key to deliverance from that frustration with yourself because what has happened in sin and in separation from God is you have been turned in so that you revolve around yourself and you do not have, you know you need it, you know you want it, you need to have intimacy with the others and you need friendship and you need support and you can't do this alone but you are revolving around yourself and you relate to other people only by how how good they are with you and and the gospel of Jesus Christ will pry you open and will do so <laughs> will do so because the spirit of god is working in the heart of the believer to do so 
And you will find it frustrating and not easy. And uh, But He will finish His work in you. In Christ, if you are in Christ, these things are true about you. So how do you know? Well, it's really this simple. He says here, you'll see him. And we could read in First or Second Corinthians that it's the Spirit who opens our eyes to see Christ for who He is, to, to trust in Christ in the first place, and to continue in a life of trusting Christ. So it's as simple as this. Do you trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ? You know what we're tempted to do is judge ourselves by our frustrated selves and not by the... Christ-given vision God has in mind for ourselves. In other words, I look at myself and I think, oh man, I am not behaving like a Christian ought to behave. I'm, I'm frustrated by myself. I want to do this and I can't make myself do it. I want to stop doing this and I can't make myself stop. But I need to answer the question, who will save me? And the answer is Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's who. And so it's as simple as this. (laughs) I ask myself this question. Do I have anyone or anything else besides Jesus for this? If I'm going to stand before a holy and righteous God for judgment, what can possibly save me? Do I have any answer to that question other than Jesus? Can I say anything on that day except I'm with him? He died for me. That's all I've got. That's all I've got. And so I know these things are true about me. These things are true about me. Now, I got to stop, but I just want to close with a little invitation. The question I asked is, how do you know? And I want to say to you, if you're not sure and you want to be sure, uh, I'd be glad to help. And if you've been sitting here this morning and you've really just now seen it, and I'd really like to know about that. So, if you're in Christ, all these things are true. If you love him, you'll keep his commandments, and you will. And he will see to it. And his spirit will make it happen. And if you want to be sure about that and you're not, let me know. I'd love to talk to you about it. Father, 
thank you for this love that you've shown in Christ, to us in Christ. That you've communicated to us in the Spirit. Lord, help us in this church to get out of ourselves and, and to share life together, to begin to live that resurrection life that glorifies you in serving one another. This is what we want. Lord, thank you that you are working on us to open us up to receive your love and to share it with one another. We give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen.